I'm very excited for today's episode because I'm really hoping it will inspire and equip several folks who want to make a big donation to their church. So today, I'm going to walk you through four ways you can give a big gift to your church and save big on taxes in the process. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skelly, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. Okay, so I want to say at the outset, this is certainly not going to be a comprehensive episode where it's every possible way that you can give a big gift. I'm going to narrow it down to four big ways, and I'm doing this episode for a few reasons. Number one, I think, well, I know there are a lot of pastors and church leaders who listen to this podcast, and I want you to be equipped to talk about these things. Number two, some of you who listen may also want to execute some of these strategies yourself. And then three, some of you who listen, maybe you're not in a position yourself where you will do one of these things, but you know someone else who may want to, and you can share it with them. The impact and the importance of large gifts in churches cannot be understated. Think about it this way. For a a church, a normal church, having 100 families that give an average of $5,000 a year is the exact same as one person who makes a donation of $500,000. And I don't say that in a way to minimize or to lessen that, oh, the people that don't give as much are not important, but I just want you to think in terms of scale, right? When somebody makes a very large donation, by proportion, I mean, that is many times dozens, if not hundreds sometimes, of other families' total yearly giving combined. And the reality is that much of the budget the capital campaigns that churches do, a lot of that money is driven by a very small minority of your church membership. And if you're a pastor, a church leader, if you've uh, led a church or even any nonprofit organization, you know this to be true. It's that 80-20 principle. In fact, it's sometimes probably even a smaller proportion that many times 90% of a budget is uh, due to 10% of a church's membership. And I know this can be an uncomfortable area for some. And I want you to understand that while churches shy away sometimes from the topic, really no other nonprofit entities do. Churches get a little bit squeamish talking about, okay, uh, who's giving what and soliciting donations, or at least publicly. You know, I think every pastor has those conversations privately and amongst each other, but publicly it's a little bit difficult to talk about. But here's what you have to understand. People that have means, people that we would consider wealthy, they're constantly constantly being presented with donation requests, whether it's their alma mater, the local library, St. Jude's, YMCA, wildlife conservation, fine arts, the list goes on and on. People are always asking them for money and, and soliciting requests. And the reason that people give large sums of money is because these organizations paint a very compelling picture of the positive impact they're having in the world. And of course, many of them are. And the question I would ask you, church leader, pastor, is whether your church is doing the same. Are you casting a compelling picture of the positive impact that you, your church, is having in this world? And are you making people aware of the opportunity that they have to partner with you financially in accomplishing those goals. And, and we know this because Romans 12 talks about how giving itself does, is a gift. Sometimes we, we, we know it uh, uh, 
we, you know, we, we know it academically, but practically, do we uh, practice it and carry it out in, in, in our everyday and every week in our churches? Because Romans 12 talks about the different spiritual gifts. Some people have the gift of teaching or the gift of service or administration. And some people have the gift of giving. So that means God has given some people in your congregation not only the gift of giving, but the capacity, right? So some people are just very giving of their of their time and of their energy, but other people have the capacity to give. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and talked about, hey, challenge, charge the rich people in, in this world not to be high-minded and to trust in their, their uncertain riches, but to do good, to use their money to help others, to be willing to distribute, willing to share. And, and so we need to accept that reality. We need to be grateful for it. So sometimes we might be a little hesitant to want to embrace givers too publicly. And I understand that side of it, the, the stigma of lots of money can uh, and how that can skew people's motives. But think about it this way. If someone came to your church and they had a great singing voice, you would embrace and celebrate their gifting and invite them to minister to your church. And you'd be very glad for that. If someone came in and they had a heart of service and they wanted to come and do landscaping around the church for free on Saturdays, you would embrace that, you would celebrate that, you'd say, wow, what a great thing this person is doing and using their gift of service to help the church. So when someone comes into the church and God's blessed them financially and they have the gift of giving, they want to give a sizable gift, embrace and celebrate that as you would other people using their gifts. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to trump it out publicly. Oh, so-and-so gave uh, X number of dollars. In fact, I, I think we'd be wise to heed Jesus's words about the importance of anonymity and humility in our giving, right? Not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So maybe we wouldn't you know, publicly or, or, or by name uh, commend people in the same way, but we should celebrate and embrace people that are using their gifting to serve and help the church. And so when a large gift is given, again, we we should address from time to time that there are ways for people to make a big impact with their giving. We have to make people aware that there are a variety of ways and a variety of giftings that God has given to help and serve the church. And one of those ways is through giving. I'm very thankful for this. Uh, Our our previous church in Pensacola, Olive Baptist Church and Pastor Ted Trailer, he would do a great job and and still does uh, of, of really acknowledging and, and putting that vision out to the church. And he wouldn't name names and say, oh, so-and-so gave X number of dollars this year. He wouldn't bring people up on the platform. Not in that way. But he would he would sometimes acknowledge when a large gift would had been given. But I think the really important thing that he would do is he would connect it to the impact that the gift was going to have. So if there was a donor uh, – actually, okay, so here's a good example. Um, not long ago, there was a donor who gave six figures – to be used for missions work. They, they wanted it to go towards missions work. And it just so happened that we had a missionary who was coming to the church uh, to present the work that he was involved in. And they, they were helping to build a new church and training center, one of the only gospel preaching churches in Antioch, Syria, like literally the place where uh, Christians were first called Christians in Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out from, like this incredibly historic uh, city in church history. Now, uh, very, very little gospel witness in that city. And so they're they're doing this great work and building this church and training center. Well, he came to the church, presented the need, talked about the things that are ongoing. And it was right around the time that uh, we had had that terrible uh, earthquake and, and so many lives had been lost in that region. And so our pastor was able to announce that the church was able to give $100,000 to see that project completed, which had come from this 
donor that had given very generously to, to see this mission's work uh, carried out. And very often, Pastor Trailer, I would see him do this. We would talk about you know, publicly from the pulpit, talk about you know, the ladies who had been who had recently graduated from uh, the addiction recovery program, or highlight uh, the 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 students that had been reached at camp or through VBS, and constantly presenting to the church to say, "Hey, there are opportunities to give. We invite you to give, but also I want you to see what is happening because of your giving. Look at this." church that's being planted overseas. Look at this person here whose life life has been totally uh, turned around. Look at the impact that we're having in our local community. Look at the young people whose lives we're able to positively impact for Christ. And so I think it was a really great model and a gr- really great way to uh, publicly show that it's not just about ma- making people aware that you can give, but connecting the giving to what it's all about and casting that vision. And the important thing that I think we all have to keep in mind, whether we're a church leader or not, is that if you treat your church budget like it's you know, a homeowner's association, it doesn't really inspire people to want to give more, right? There's certain things in life we understand, okay, we need a budget for this. There's certain things that need to be taken care of. But people need to see beyond line items on a budget. They need to see real-life impact that their giving is making. That's why Paul, when he wrote in his letter to the church at Philippi, he, he told them, I'm thankful for the money that you sent me. But it's not because I desire a gift. It's not because I want your money. I desire fruit that would be credited to your account. See, he was making the point that, yeah, your, your donations have helped me with some physical needs, you know, my travel, my food, and my shelter. But more importantly, your financial donations have resulted in people being reached with the gospel and you have an eternal reward for the money that you gave. And so that was a really lengthy introduction. I, I know the, the podcast title is talking about practical things we can do, and I'm giving this lengthy intro, but I would challenge you, think about your own church and setting a vision. Is it very clear to the people in your church why they should give and the impact it's going to have, and is that vision there? And I'm going to say this at the outset, I'll reiterate it at the end, these strategies that I'm about to talk about, they're meant to be informational, okay? Please en- enlist the help of a good advisor an estate attorney, a tax expert, when executing any of these, I want to kind of whet your appetite a little bit and just say, hey, here are some things to think about. Here are maybe some things to put on your to-do list. And certainly every situation is going to be different, but these are some really, really great starting places when we're thinking about how do we make a big gift, a, a big impact for the gospel through my church? Okay, number one, pretty straightforward way. Number one, through your will and your named beneficiaries. Okay, this is one of the easiest but still very often overlooked uh, ways that we can make a big impact. And it definitely merits a mention. Very often people with significant resources are very charitably inclined. I know the stereotype sometimes that people have in their mind is that rich people are stingy and they, they hate parting with their money, but the stats don't really bear that out. I mean, sure, there, there's going to be Ebenezer Scrooges out there, but wealthy people statistically much more likely to give a higher percentage of their wealth and income away. A lot of wealthy people are very conscious of the fact that they've been blessed, they want to use their money wisely, and they want to be generous. And one of the simplest ways that you can do this is to consider the church in your estate plan. So you should have a will. No matter who you are, doesn't matter how much money you have, it's really, really important that you have a will. It doesn't matter how old you are, kids, no kids, married or not. Will is very easy to put in place. And it's, it, it's extremely important. Most people's first consideration in their will is their family. So when you think about, okay, when I pass away, 
who gets my stuff, which is essentially what a will is. You're, you're delineating the assets and, and where it, sh- it should go. If you have kids, you're also willing to include the care of your kids and some of those types of things. But it's mainly, you know, who gets my stuff, right? So the first thing you want to think about is your family. Rightly so. I think it's important to make sure your loved ones are taken care of after your death. I think it's a wise goal to leave an inheritance to the next generation. Second to that, I would encourage everyone to consider their church as part of their will. Does this mean everybody should have their church in their will? No, okay? But especially if you have significant resources, I think this should be a very, very real consideration that you have. Again, doesn't mean you just simply say, I leave all my possessions to the church, nobody else gets anything. But perhaps a percentage or specific assets that you outline can go to help your church. Now, this could be a property, Maybe your, your home, rental property, vacation property, could be a piece of land that you own, could be life insurance, could be investments, cash, even retirement accounts. And so there's two ways to leave an asset, whether it's to a person or to an organization like your church. Either you can name them in your will or you can name them as a beneficiary on a, a certain account or a certain asset. Beneficiary is a better way when it's applicable. In fact, your named beneficiary supersedes your will. So if you have your kids, you know, for instance, if you have your kids listed as beneficiary on your 401k, but your will says it goes to your brother, well, then the beneficiaries have precedence. You know, if it, if it comes down to it, you know, a, a court is going to rule the beneficiaries are, are you know, that are listed. That's who it goes to. Sometimes people get themselves in trouble because they, they listed somebody as a beneficiary years ago, forgot about it, and then they pass away. And then it's this, this whole mess because they just didn't realize. Um, but not everything allows you to name beneficiaries, okay? So for instance, you can name beneficiaries on your life insurance policy or your retirement account, and you should, um, but not on your house or, or your car. So name beneficiaries where you can, but then the will will specify how everything else gets distributed. In fact, if you want to be really smart about this, your beneficiaries may or may not have to pay taxes based on the assets you leave them. So here's where some strategy and some foreplanning can make a huge difference. So you think, okay, I, I have all these different assets, these different accounts, and, and uh, you lay them all out in front of you. And you think, okay, I, I want to be able to give some to my kids. I want to be able to give some. You, know, you list it out. But in that, let's say you have your church as well. I want to be able to live, leave something to my church. Well, what you leave to who could actually make a big difference. So for instance – if you have life insurance in place, life insurance proceeds are generally tax-free. In almost every case, when your beneficiaries get your life insurance proceeds, it's going to be tax-free, which is great. If your beneficiaries are inheriting stock or other investments that you own outside of a retirement account, you have stock, you have mutual funds. It's not in a retirement account, it's just in a separate investment account. When you pass away, they get a step up in the cost basis. That means you bought investment X for $5. Now it's worth $20. Well, when you pass away, your heirs don't have to pay the capital gains on that $15 of growth. Instead, they would have only a capital gain if they sell the investments for more than what it was worth on the day that you died. That's what they call a step-up in basis. So it's it's essentially like they bought it for $20, whatever it was worth when you passed away. So that's a big tax benefit. So if you leave life insurance to your beneficiaries or uh, uh, investments that have a step up in cost basis. That really minimizes the tax impact. But withdrawals from like a 401k or an IRA, those would be taxable to your beneficiaries. So think about this. 
let's say you're, you want to do one-fourth. Let's say you have three kids that you're leaving your, your inheritance to, so they each get a fourth, and then the other fourth goes to your church. Well, if you want to give a fourth of your net worth to your church at your death, then be strategic about which assets you're leaving to the church and which ones you're leaving to the kids. Because if you leave the IRA to your kids, then they're going to have to pay taxes on that. But if you leave the IRA to the church, well, hey, they're tax-exempt. And when they withdraw the funds out of that IRA, they don't have to pay taxes on it. So you see what I mean? So this is where a good advisor, estate attorney, tax preparer, this is where that makes a big difference. Uh, and if you haven't already made started making that game plan, start to assemble that team of advisors to help you to do that. Not only could it save you and your heirs thousands of dollars in taxes, but it also means more money that goes towards gospel work. It means being wise and, and maximizing impact. So your will and named beneficiaries is number one. Number two... Uh, something called a donor-advised fund. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe not. Very, very impactful way to uh, give money and especially a larger amount of money. So this type of account acts very similar to like an endowment fund. So that's a good way to think of it. Think of it like an endowment fund. So let's say you have a large amount of money, especially if, if it's investments that you intend to donate one day. You are allowed to donate that money into a donor-advised fund, in, into a special account where you still maintain control about how the money is invested and when and where that money is distributed. But essentially, that donor-advised fund in the eyes of the IRS is considered a charitable organization because once the money goes into the donor-advised fund, it has to be given to uh, a qualified charitable organization like your church. So, so you can't pull it back out and, and use it for yourself. You can't go buy something for yourself. It has to be given away to a charitable organization, but you still have control. And so you say, all right, well, why wouldn't I just give the money directly? Why do I need this extra step? Why do I need this holding account? Well, there are three big situations, three main situations where I would say this becomes a really helpful option. Okay, number one, let's say you have investments like company stock, You've worked at a company and you've bought company stock over the years, or you have mutual funds and some type of investment that has risen significantly in value. So maybe you know, maybe you 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 bought stock in a company early on and it's really blown up, and you know that you plan to give this money away. Maybe it's not the the full sum, but some of it. But you've you've locked into a certain amount, and it's it's a sizable amount. You know, it's it's maybe six figures, right? You plan to give this money away, but you would also like to continue to. Invest the money so that it still grows into an even bigger gift down the road. You're like, yes, this money I want to be able to give, but I still want it to grow more so it'll be an even bigger gift because I know the power of compound interest. Well, let's say you own a million dollars of ABC stock. You originally purchased it for 50000 That's your cost basis. That means if you sell the stock and donate the cash, well, guess what? You now have a $950,000 capital gain, and here comes Uncle Sam to take a big old chunk out of that. So that full amount is not going to go to your church, right? Only what's left over after taxes. But on the flip side, let's say you say, well, I don't want to sell the stock right now because I don't have that big capital gain. But if I keep the money in ABC stock, I'm taking a big risk here, right? It's a single company. I know the stock market as a whole has a strong long-term track record, but the performance of a single company, I mean, that's far riskier. There is no guarantee for a single company. We've seen many companies you know, uh, uh, go up and down in value and some of the times even close. And so maybe you feel like, ah, oh, that's a big risk to just sort of like, mm, you know, who knows where the stock's going to go in the next few years. So if you keep all the money in that single stock, maybe you're, you're risking that it could fall considerably in value. So in this scenario, 
you can donate that stock or those mutual fund shares into a donor-advised fund. So you transfer it from your name into the donor-advised fund. The fund itself, like I said, is considered a charitable organization. So because the money has been given to a nonprofit, then when you sell those shares, there are no taxes owed on that transaction. Okay? So, and also when you make that donation, you're able to use that uh, as a, you're able to take a deduction on your taxes. For that year. So you get these two big tax benefits. So first of all, you're making a, a donation, you get the tax deduction for, for your taxes that year. Then also you're able to sell that investment with no capital gains. And then a hundred percent of those funds can be given to your church. And nothing comes off the top for those taxes. Um, and then you can also reinvest the money in appropriate investments for the time frame that you want before giving those funds away. So like to give a, a, an example here, all right? So Joe Smith, He's got company stock. Let's say it's worth three hundred thousand. He paid twenty five thousand originally to invest in those stocks, so it's got a big capital gain. He'd like to be able to give a million dollar gift to his church one day. That's his goal. So he's got three hundred thousand. He'd like to let that continue to grow to a million. So what he does is he sets up a donor advised fund. He takes his three hundred thousand in stock shares. And then he immediately sells them once they're in that fund. So he's able to claim a tax deduction for this year for the gift that he made, that $300,000 gift. He doesn't pay any taxes on the sale because it was sold by a charitable organization inside that donor advised fund. And then he reinvests the money into low-cost diversified stock funds, much safer, much stronger track record. He owes no capital gains on the sale, no taxes on any interest or dividends that's generated from the investments inside of that fund. And then when the account reaches a million dollars, boom, he's able to give that entire amount tax-free. See how that works? Okay. Number two, we're talking about, you know, why would a donor advised fund make sense? So, so that would be first scenario. Scenario number two is let's say you want to establish like an endowment fund of your own to maximize your gift over the long term. Maybe you say, Hey, I want to put together a fund. I want to put together a pool of money that will grow and grow and really over time be able to turn into a much bigger gift than just a one-time gift. All right, so some good examples would be large institutions like Harvard or Yale. They have endowment funds. They have Harvard's endowment fund is like $40 billion. So it makes money every year. They invest that money in a variety of different things, and they use the interest from that endowment fund to help fund the college each year and take care of expenses. And, And many Uh, universities do that. Harvard and Yale just have some of the largest endowment funds. There are even sovereign wealth funds like Norway or Saudi Arabia have these large pools of money that they use to help fund their their countries or their government's budget for the year. And and, and they use the the proceeds from uh, these, these large funds. So it's kind of that idea. So if you have a large amount of money, you can deploy it all right now at once and do a lot of good with it now. Or maybe you want to be a little bit more strategic and long-term in your thinking and only deploy a certain amount each year and then leave the majority of the money to continue to be invested and to grow. And then by spreading out your gifting year by year, you could actually give away a lot more over a long period of time. So, you know, like for instance, let's say we got the Smith family and they want to set up a fund that supports uh, the missions program at their church. Let's say they have a million dollars. They donate and donate it into the fund and then each year they distribute $50,000. So each year, $50,000 comes out and goes towards mission work. And they do this for 20 years. Every year, $50,000. Well, over 20 years, 
they've given cumulatively $1 million. But because the majority of the money was still being invested in compounding, even though they were taking out 50 grand each year, now let's say you know at a 7% average rate of return, now they have $1.8 million still in the account. And now if they gave that money away, they would have given almost $3 million instead of the original $1 million. So you could adjust the scenario where the account balance grow if the account balance grows so does the yearly giving or you know so instead of 50,000 each year you adjust it for inflation and give a bigger amount each year the point of the example is to say by treating the donor advised fund as an endowment it allows for a much larger amount to be given over time even after you adjust for inflation and then thirdly last scenario where a donor advised fund could make sense and be a big help is let's say you had a large income year and you're looking to minimize taxes right so let's say you sold your business or maybe sold a rental property or you're going to be in a high tax or in a high income year and a high tax bracket because of that, right? In that scenario, you're like, hey, how do I minimize my taxes? I'm looking for deductions. I'm looking for write-offs. Well, one of those ways that you can you can help yourself in those scenarios is possibly by doing this donor-advised fund. So if you're planning to give money away, then – this this could this could work. So let's say you know you sold your business, right? And you want to give a large portion of that money away. First of all, I would encourage you, of course, to give some money right away. You know, so let's say it's a scenario where a business has been sold and you want to give 30% of it away. Well, maybe 10% is given right away, but 20% you want to still you know, have some time to decide how and when and be a little bit more strategic with that. Well, here's where the donor advised fund becomes a very helpful tool. So you gift that undecided portion, that 20% into the donor advised fund now so that you get the tax deduction for this year. And that greatly helps to lower your taxable income. And then you can invest that money or leave it in something very conservative, paying interest for the time being until you ultimately decide how and when to gift that money. Okay, so your will, named beneficiaries, donor advised fund, third big way to to give a, uh, a, a to give a big gift to your church and maximize its impact and save on taxes. Number three, let's talk about charitable trusts. Charitable trusts. Whenever you start talking about trusts, I think ninety percent of people start to tune out because they're they're thinking eh, trust is only something multimillionaires use. The trust is not for me. While it is true that the wealthier wealthier you are, the more likely a trust is something that you should consider, you'd be surprised at how often the, you know, quote unquote average person could benefit from setting up a trust. In particular, there's just really two types of trust I want I want to mention here. Uh, a charitable remainder trust and a charitable lead trust. The key difference here is in the names, remainder versus lead. So, let me just start with the charitable lead trust. These I'm, I'm going to give the, the the more truncated versions here because uh, these always have a little bit more um, wiggle room inside of them. So I just kind of want to give you the, the overview here. And if it's something that you think is, is going to be helpful, this is where you want to get an estate attorney involved and an advisor and a tax advisor and all those things. But let's start with a charitable lead trust. Charitable lead trust functions a lot like a donor advised fund. Here's basically the idea. With a charitable lead trust, you transfer property, cash, investments, et cetera. And you, uh, you, so you transfer property into the trust and it's set up to benefit your church or really any 501c3 charity. And the trust, the terms of the trust stipulates the amount of money that's given and for how long. 
And then at the end of that period, usually the way it's set up is when the donor uh, passes away. Then the remaining assets are passed on to that donor or to their beneficiary. So for instance, let's say somebody has uh, a large sum of money and they want to help supplement maybe the church's budget or they want to give a certain amount of money to missions each year or whatever the case may be. So they set this up so that each month or each quarter or each year, X number of dollars gets sent or given to the church. And then at the end of that term, if they set it for a certain number of years or when this person passes away, then what's ever left over can go to that donor, to the donor's spouse, to their kids, and then that becomes their inheritance. Does that make sense? So lead trust, you're leading with the giving. So I'm giving now, and then whatever's left over goes to me or to my beneficiaries. Okay, that's a charitable lead trust. The flip side, the charitable remainder trust, I think is the one that's probably more common, and I would see put in use more often, it works the other way around. So you create this trust, you fund it with investments, with cash, with whatever whatever assets that you're wanting to. And then what happens is the donor, the person who set up the trust, they receive monthly income from the trust. And then when the trust expires, then whatever's left over is given to the church. So, okay, a, a very common use of charitable remainder trusts is this way. Let's say you have someone... They have a nest egg that they still rely on for their income. Maybe they get Social Security or maybe a pension, but they still need this money in their nest egg to make ends meet. So what they do, but they have the the intention in their mind to say, when I pass away, though, I want this nest egg. I'm just going to give it to the church. So what they do is they set up this charitable remainder trust. They say, okay, I need $3,000 a month to supplement my income. And I want to adjust that each year for inflation to make sure that, you know, it's, it's, it keeps pace here and I'm not losing purchasing power. So that's set up that way. Every month, the charitable remainder trust gives them income, money is sent to their bank account to help them with their expenses. And then when they do pass away, whatever is still left in the trust is then transferred to the church. Okay, so charitable trust can be a great way, a very clever way and straightforward way to make sure that, that you have some stipulations about your giving and how much is given and when and, and those types of things. And then fourthly and finally here, and I, and I, I realize there's a little bit of a longer episode, but there's more to cover. And I and honestly, it's a it's a topic that I'm very passionate about and, and, and I, I wanted to make sure I did it justice. Fourthly, finally, uh, uh, certainly not least, qualified charitable distributions, QCDs, qualified charitable distributions. Uh, don't be thrown off by the jargon. It's a pretty simple one to understand. Most people save for retirement through their workplace retirement accounts, 401k, 403b. Most of these accounts are pre-tax. It means you didn't pay taxes on the contributions. You pay taxes when you withdraw. So you didn't pay taxes back then, but you have to pay taxes when you take the money out. So let's say you have quite a bit of money accumulated in your 401k or maybe in your IRA, and you know that you're going to need to pay taxes when you start taking that money out. Well, starting at age 70 and a half, you are allowed to withdraw up to $100,000 per year per person and send that money directly to your church, really to any qualified charity, but including your church. And by making this what they call qualified charitable distribution, that withdrawal is not taxed at all because it was given to a nonprofit. So you do not owe taxes on that withdrawal. It is in essence a tax-free withdrawal. Now, of course, it doesn't go to you. It goes to the church. And many people need these funds. So here's the thing. The whole reason why you save into a 401k, a higher rate, these things is because you're intending that the idea is, okay, I, I'm probably going to need these funds later on to supplement my income. But the reality is that 
many times people get to that stage in life and they realize I actually don't need to rely on this IRA or this 401k to supplement my income. Maybe I have a pension. I have social security. I have other investments. I sold a business. I got an inheritance. I'm good. I actually don't need this money in my IRA. Well, that's great, but the IRS has rules about that money. They're not just going to let you keep it in there forever. The IRS requires you to start taking out a minimum amount each year starting at age 73. It, it will be pushed back to age 75 for those later on down the road. But right now it's 73 years old. And so you say, okay, if I'm going to be forced to take money out eventually, why don't I just go ahead and start taking money out and giving it directly to my church and that way I don't add to my tax bill? Does that make sense? So let's say uh, somebody says, all right, I'm, I'm going to give X number of dollars this year anyway. I could take it out of my checking account or I could take it out of my IRA and send it directly to my church. And that way I'm minimizing you know, the taxes that I would have to pay on that IRA. Or somebody's 73 years old and the IRS says, hey, you got to take out so much money out of your IRA this year. Instead of putting it in your bank account, you say, okay, I'm going to use this as a charitable gift, send it directly to my church. And then again, avoid paying taxes on that withdrawal. So all these are really creative and impactful ways to uh, make uh, gifts to your church. So just quick recap. Number one, have a will and name beneficiaries. Simple thing you can do right now, have a will, update it if you haven't (laughs) updated in a while. They're relatively inexpensive. It's well worth a peace of mind to have in place. Also review your beneficiaries. If you haven't looked at your beneficiaries, make sure you have them in place. Add them if you don't have them. Make sure they are the beneficiaries that you want to. Consider your church. Maybe, maybe you need to add your church in your will or add the church as a beneficiary. How much would you like to give? Would you like to give a percentage of your total assets? Maybe a specific dollar amount. Maybe you want to give it in proportion, right? Just kind of add the church like it would be another one of your beneficiaries and just proportionally add them in. Uh, and which assets make most sense? Can I gift assets to the church that will make the most tax sense for everybody involved. Number two, donor advised funds. If you have investments that have appreciated and you're gonna owe a big chunk of capital gains, donor advised fund could be a perfect solution. If you have a big income year looking for tax deductions, donor advised fund. If you uh, would like to make your investment have a bigger impact over a longer period of time, you need to consider donor advised funds. Thirdly, charitable trusts. If you're wanting to dedicate funds, either now or later, for charitable use. If you want to put hard edges around how that money is going to be used, you want to make sure you ensure that it's used according to your wishes while also getting that tax benefit, consider a charitable trust. And then finally, there's qualified charitable distributions. If you find yourself needing to take money out of those pre-tax retirement accounts and you don't need that full sum to supplement your income, consider giving it directly right to your church. Avoid those income taxes. So again, I said at the beginning, I'm going to say at the end, these strategies are not one size fits all. You need a good team around you to execute them correctly. Talk to your financial advisor, talk to your tax preparer, even an estate attorney. Make sure you're using the right strategy for you because you know what's, what, what's good for one may not be good for you and vice versa. But these are some really exciting ways to make big gifts to your church, be wise about maximizing their impact and see the gospel go forward. Because when it's all said and done, the most important thing that we can do is invest in God's kingdom. So if you have any questions about these strategies, please let me know. Whether it's you personally that are looking to implement one of these things for yourself, or maybe you'd like to help someone who is looking to make a large donation to your church, just let me know. I'll be glad to help. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, and I'll look forward to seeing you on the next one.